Hi guys, welcome to the Advanced Refrigeration Training Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Compass, along with my partner, Brett Wetzel. Today's episode is sponsored by Westermeyer Industries, the leaders in oil management and presser vessels for the commercial refrigeration industry. Whether you're involved with designing a system or tasked with servicing one, Westermeyer Industries has been helping meet the needs of customers like you for the past 20 years. They offer a broad catalog of stock system components with an in-house team of engineers to assist with custom solutions as well. From oil separators and heat exchangers to system monitoring devices, Westermeyer Industries are a total system specialist with industry expertise, engineering know-how, and the manufacturing muscle to help you tackle problems and deliver solutions. How did you get back? The end, I had to project my consciousness forward into a suspended quantum state version of myself that exists across every possible instance of time. That makes no sense. Well, it would if you were smarter. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's the event you've all been waiting for. Welcome to the Advanced Refrigeration Training Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Compass, along with uh, my co-host, Brett Wetzel. And tonight we're going to talk about uh, Copeland IDCM controllers for controlling digital compressors. So, Brett, you want to take the lead? So, the reason why we have IDCM controllers um, for these uh, particular compressors is for steadier suction control. Um, you know, one of the worst things for any system is uh, the load to fluctuate. Um, this causes uh, an imbalance in the load, uh, causes the, the BTUs to basically change, you know, throughout running. Um, and you get, uh, you know, these spikes of, of high pressures. And this way, you with, uh, you know, having, having this type of digital unloading, um, you know, controls the suction pressure a heck of a lot better. So you, you get more of a straight line. I know Kevin. Kevin has posted a bunch of bunch of uh, tuning that he's done on a bunch of racks, um, showing you know before and after pictures of you know after setting up a rack with an IBCM versus uh, you know what it was before. Um, basically, a lot of uh, a regular standard unloader. Basically, just if you have a let's just say for instance you have a 4D. If you have a 4D, then you know basically that 4D might be 20 horsepower. And then when you unload half the, you know, half the, uh, half the heads, um, basically now it's a 2D. Um, so, you know, basically you can unload it off and on like that. With the IDCM, you don't have to go from 100 to 50, 100 to 50. You could actually load that compressor from 50 all the way up to 100 in increments using the, using the uh, cycling on that solenoid. Um, same thing we can do with... Uh, with scroll compressors as well, that's done a little bit differently. Um, the way it is done with scrolls is basically the male and female rotors of a scroll. If anyone's ever taken one apart, um, you know, are, are, are basically, you know, touching. And there is usually a copper line on the top of the head of the compressor. And it that 
copper line is then connected to a solenoid. And basically that solenoid, what it's doing is actually relieving the pressure from the top of the head going into uh, through the solenoid back into the suction. And basically what that's doing is, is actually separating the rotors. As you're separating the ro rotors, you're actually reducing the amount of compression that it's doing. And once again, you can unload that compressor from, you know, downwards of 10% all the way up to 100%. So you have more of uh, loading and unloading capability without having to add cycles onto your, onto your external compressors. Um, making sure your loads are, 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 are good, making sure your suction pressure is extremely important when doing this. Um, but that's just to give you a brief overview of, of what these things are actually doing and, and you know, why we have them. That, that's a good overview. So like that, what we're going to go over tonight uh, is off of the Emerson Bulletin. It's AE Bulletin 1328, which is the uh, IDCM Controller Bulletin. So everything we're going to be going over is going to be inside that bulletin. So for you guys' reference. So this IDCM controller is basically a pulse width modulation controller that gets a signal from an EMS controller in the form of a 1 to 5 volt signal if it's a 3D or a scroll. And if it's a 4D and 60, it's going to be a 3 to 5 volt signal. Uh, DC signal. So the way this is set up, so you're going to have all these terminals on this board. You have a 24 volts terminal. Um, I'm going to stress this, that polarity is of the utmost importance with the 24 volts and with the actual signal wires. Because if you take this board apart, the commons on the signal wire and the commons of the 24 volts inlet are all the same common. If you flip-flop those, you will blow up the, the EMS board. We're going to go over that a little bit later uh, uh, when we go into the troubleshooting part of this. But uh, uh, polarity with the signal wires in the 24 is of utmost importance. So this controller is controlling the compressor contactor. Your... Uh, on lower solenoid, like it's pulsing the solenoid. It's using pulse width modulation to pulse the solenoid on. So it's 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 checking the DC voltage coming from your EMS board and whatever it's at. Uh, according to the pre-programmed thing in the controller, it's going to pulse that solenoid on for so many seconds off off for so many, and then it's uh, going to keep doing that until that DC voltage changes. Okay, and then you're also controlling your vapor injection off this if, if you have it. And then you're also uh, controlling your alarm contact on here. Now, there is CTs built into this. Um, some, I know this was talked about online the other day, some manufacturers use all three lines. You should. You should run all three phases through there. But... If you only have one phase running through, it has to go through the uh, the C terminal, and it works fine. I mean, I don't know how many protocols. we got to have over 150 protocols that are wired that way where Husman only took the one wire through the C. So that'll work fine. And then this controller uh, has uh, a bunch of alarm functions on here. So I think first we're going to go through – 
these actual alarm functions. And uh, then we're going to go over more of so how it stages everything inside the controller. So if you go, we go through these alarm functions, like the most common one I see, which Brad, I don't know, know about you, but is uh, uh, demand signal loss. So demand signal loss would meaning uh, if it's a scroll or a 3D means the uh, uh, DC voltage drop below uh, the 1.44 volts for how many seconds and it shut off the compressor. Um, I'm sorry, it's below one volt, I believe. It, and it's 1.44 volts for it to come back on. So this could be a uh, EMS issue. This could be uh, the way that they have this set up in the controller. So the way the way the output is scaled. So if it's a 3D or a scroll, its minimum position is 10%. So if you have a one to five volt signal, you need to make your minimum 10% of that one to five volt signal. So that way you don't lose that uh, it doesn't ever go below 10% and uh, drop out on the demand signal loss. So uh, you want to make sure that you, you're, you're above that, uh, that 1.44 volts or else it's going to lock, lock out. So, I sorry, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. It's below 0.5 volts DC. It'll it'll uh it'll fault on demand signal loss. Or you basically, if you have it anywhere like at one volt, that can that contactor will actually disengage. Yeah, correct. And then it'll drop out, and the alarm contact will close. So then you'll you'll be getting these random IDCM alarms, and uh, th that'll be for it. I see this a lot. I see the uh, the scaling set wrong in the controllers, and uh, this causes all kinds of uh, nuisance alarms. So then uh, you have a couple other on here, like so. There's a discharge transistor on here, and uh, if you are using uh, demand cooling there's a uh, resistor in here to the place in there to jump out this uh, this particular alarm because you want the demand cooling to control the liquid injection and the actual alarming functions of it. So if you're getting uh, a medium temp compressor or, or a low temp compressor that doesn't have demand cooling, it's going to have a discharge temp sensor on there to protect its compressor, especially the scrolls because, uh, you know, with, uh, with the digital unloading on the scrolls, I mean, they could overheat if they're uh, if they're running at the minimum position for too long, so this discharge transistor is on there to make sure that it's uh, it's not going to overheat the compressor. So that's uh, one thing to to watch out for. Then uh, the locked rotor Kevin, alarm. Kevin, hold on, hold on. Yep, go ahead. Hold on, hold on. Let me try something. Um, I'll just edit it out. That's fine. I just I want to I want to I want to see if it's my internet connection or yours because you keep flaking out where it sounds like you're underwater. So let me let me see if I can just turn on my hotspot and I just want to try this. Give me bear with me one second.
All right, can you hear me? Yep. All right. I think you that might be better. better. Oh, awesome. Then, then apparently my internet sucks. Um, one of the things I did want to add when you were talking about the demand, um, making sure that you're, uh, you know, typically you always want uh, your time delays uh, to be set to make sure that it doesn't uh, short cycle the compressor on pawn, like, you know, an abrupt, you know, turn off and turn back on. Uh, one of the things I can disagree with is with the IDCM module. You know, a lot of times, you know, you start off your compressors, you know, from number one, you know, over, you start 30 seconds, a minute, minute 30, two minute, and so on and so forth as, you know, however many compressors on your suction group. On anything with an IDCM, just put it to zero. Don't don't screw around. Because what will happen is if that, if the controller has its signal and and the, you know, the RO is calling for that particular compressor to be on and it doesn't sense that amperage within a certain amount of time it's just going to flake out and fault out and then you're going to be required to pull the control power off of the idcm module to get it back up and running yep yeah it's uh one thing to be uh, really careful about this like if uh i don't know why all these manufacturers don't put a switch to kill the 24 volts or when i'm doing these uh installs i always wire the power for the idcm transformer I, I try to keep it on a separate transformer i always wire the power coming off that compressor switch so if you shut the compressor switch off it kills power to the transformer so that it resets the board because pull having to pull wire off, off of a controller to reset is just stupid <laughs> but that's how oh. like 99 of these are set up well that switch is probably what two dollars you don't want to put that switch in yeah. there. You have to pay someone to drill the hole. Gets expensive. Yeah, I mean, uh, really stupid. I mean, uh, so yeah, that that's one thing. Like one of my pet peeves. You be careful. I've I've seen many guys short off that transformer trying to pull that. A little strand of wire hits the common, and then poof, she's done. Okay, and then uh, so. The uh, high discharge temperature fault on these locks out at, at uh, 260. Uh, I'm sorry, it locks out at. Uh, I agree that. Wouldn't it be like 310? Just like the just like the regular. Uh, yeah, it is. Okay, because I, I mean, like yeah, it, it, would, right. would be, it would be comparable to the to the demand cooling module. You know, I th those shut off at 310. They engage the liquid line solenoid at 282 and kick them, or I'm sorry, kick them on at 292 and kick it back out at 282. Um, you might think that that's a high temperature, but if you got to remember, you know, that these uh, the sensors are internal in the head. Okay. Um, so I'm not talking about actual discharge line temperature. I'm actually talking about head temperature. And you got to remember, there's usually like a 75 degree difference between the two. So, you know, you're basically kicking this thing on at um, 217 and 207. You're basically just riding the line there, just kicking it back and forth. And then finally, if it gets up to 227 or 237, you know, it'll end up uh, tripping out and opening up that set of contacts in the IDCM. Or, you know, same thing with the demand cooling module as well. Yep. So the next real common code is going to be uh, the code three, which is compressor protector trip. 
So this this goes off anytime that the IDCM does not see the compressor running and the uh, supply uh, voltage for the uh, signal is above 1.44 volts DC and it does not see the compressor running from one of those CTs, it will fault out on compressor uh, protector trip. Now this could be a safety issue. You could have an open safety, it could be off on oil, you could be overheated, but it, did, it doesn't see the compressor running when it's calling for it to run. So that's when it's gonna lock out on the compressor protector trip. So this is a very, very common one. I, I would say compressor protector trip and uh, code five demand signal loss are gonna be probably 90% of what the alarms you're gonna see. So th those two are gonna be the, uh, the most common ones you're gonna see. And then, uh, like I said, that, that could be a safety issue. Um, if it, if it senses that protector uh, compressor protector trip, it's going to open up M12, which is going to be your contactor uh, uh, control. So that way uh, you want to make sure that, uh, you know, you're going to have to recycle that power again to troubleshoot it to get the M1 and M2 to close again. And then another common, real common one is the code four, which is locked rotor. So this, this uh, condition occurs when a compressor is sent when the uh, compressor CT is sensing uh, four consecutive startups with high amperage uh, in a 20 second period. So if in the 20 second period, if it sees the, you know, CT sees the, the amperage skyrocket through the roof, it's gonna think that it's, uh, it's through a locked rotor. I mean, this is a common one. I mean, th this could be caused from like rapid cycling. So if you, something's shutting everything on and off, I mean, I've seen it would cause uh, nuisance uh, code four lock rotor alarms, or you could have a failed CT inside of the uh, inside of the IDCM that's causing it. But uh, yeah, that's generally what it is. You add anything to that to the alarm section, Brett? Well, we were talking about before, especially if it's a low temp compressor. You know, you could have the basically the. Unloader, I'm sorry, the vapor injection solenoid, um, you know, valve, you know, valve stemmed in basically cause it to go backwards, which could potentially cause it to do lock rotor because it has that excessive, you know, the excessive inrush. Uh, the the one that you were talking about with the safety, um, the safety is being open. That's where you're going to see the um, the if the time delay is is energized, you know, and then, you know, it's either, you know, it. I forget how long it it's instantaneous. I think like if it doesn't actually send, pick it up as soon as it has the signal in the call, it potentially will alarm out where you basically would then have to drop the 24 volts from that. That's all I got for that. Okay. Um, one real, I mean, this is for all electronics. One thing to really watch out for is the actual 24 volt supply. Make sure your transformers tapped right. See this all the time. See transformers tap that are uh, tapped for 230, and they should be tapped for 208, and you're getting a low low voltage. If the voltage drops below 18.5 volts, it locks the controller out on low on 20 low uh, low voltage, and it's only a uh, one volt increase for it to unlock. So I mean that can be causing nuisance alarms. So you want to make sure your tra your transformers are tapped right. Uh, with with the actual uh, 
uh, rack itself. You want to make sure all your transformers are always tapped right. And remember, I mean, so in the summertime, your voltage is going to is going to go down um, because basically there's more of a demand on the grid. Uh, you'll see this a lot in inner cities. Um, Philadelphia, we used to have to put uh, um, current protectors, uh, phase loss monitors on a lot of our stuff because in the city, I mean, you know, in the heat of summer when it was 100 degrees, it doesn't really seem like a lot. But I mean, in Philly, it is. Uh, the, you know, the grid, you know, a 208, 230 circuit would go all the way down to 182, uh, 190, somewhere in that, that wheelhouse. And if that happens, obviously you're going to have a, a, a higher um, a higher amperage because you have a lower voltage. Um, keep that in mind because that could be happening. If you, if you happen to see uh, calls happen a lot during the day, and then by the time you get down, but you know, let's just say alarms out at noon, you guys are swamped. It's summertime. By the time you actually show up on site, you can't find any known reason why this thing would have tripped out. Right. Cause now you reset it. It's back up and running. You can't figure out why keep that in mind. And then you can keep that in mind as well with working with rooftop units. I I've done plenty of calls where I showed up and the unit, uh, you know, was running hot, uh, wasn't actually pulling down temperature. You show up, um, you know, later that night because, you know, you guys are slammed and, and you guys are running a little bit behind on calls. Uh, then everything's working fine. And then you check the voltage and you're like, well, it's 23.8. That sh- shouldn't be a problem, but that's at eight o'clock at night. That's not in the heat of the heat, middle heat of the, of the, of the summer in the middle of the day where, you know, you could be potentially dropping that voltage all the way down to 18 or, or 20 volts. Like Kevin was saying prior. So just be mindful of that. You know, your, your ambient temperature can and will affect your, your, your temperatures going to a lot of your electronics and it can do some screw stuff with it. You know, you were also stating before about making sure that you have, uh, you know, the, the, the common and the hot on both of those, you know, set up properly. Um, the, you know, anything that uses an analog output module, you, you know, you, you, you have to make sure that that that, that does happen. Um, we had an instance where we had, you know, I know we're talking about ID, IDCM, but the uh, Hoffman controllers that control the condenser fans on the seasons fours and, and um, you know, those type of units, um, those generate their own voltage. And I, I had found where the schematic was actually wrong. We blew up a, a controller and then blew up another one. And I went out there and I blew up one and I contacted the manufacturer. He's like, well, you have it wired wrong. I said, no, I have it wired per the spec. And, you know, he's like, well, what model number do you have? And it was like one model number off than what, you know, than what the actual manual said. He's like, well, that that's why it's, it's this one. It's, it's actually, it's supposed to be switched opposite. I'm like, but the schematic's wrong. So he ended up sending me uh, an abridged schematic and I called him a week later and he was uh, fixing all the schematics and the rest of the boxes that they had to send out for all the controllers because they had, they couldn't figure out why they had a, you know, extreme amount of the losses, but just keep in mind, heat affects, vo- uh, affects, affects your voltage and make sure that polarity is correct. Yeah, it's a, it's a good, uh, good thing to check. So, on these actual IDCM controllers, if you look at the actual web or the actual uh, wiring diagram for it, so L2 on the actual controller is what is doing all the switching. So that is your actual switching. Now, uh, M1 and M2 are going to be your contactor coil. 
uh, voltage. Now, these are not relays in here. These are triacs. Okay, a triac is a like solid state, very. Uh, how do you it's 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 a solid state relay basically, but it, it cannot handle current whatsoever. So this is not made to handle current. Uh, if you have a short of any sort, uh, whether it be a contactor coil, wire rub through, it'll blow it. It'll blow a triac. I mean, it happens all the time. I see guys in there all the time. They can't get power out of M1 and M2 and they're getting a code four, which is compressor protector trip. You know, it's not seeing it run. They reset it and then they get no power out of uh, M1 and M2. So generally when that happens, you're, you had, you shorted up a triac. So you're not, you're not getting any voltage out of it because you have a shorted triac. Now don't just throw this uh, new controller in there and not check the contactor coil you know, take the, take the wires off, foam it out, make sure it's not shorted, or like start tracing your wires out because somewhere in that wiring is is a short and that IDCM is going to go before any fuse will because that triac is not rated to take that take that voltage or that, I'm sorry, that amperage. So besides checking, obviously, the, the, the coil uh, to make sure that, that you have good resistance um, to make sure that that's not shorted, also check your safeties, uh, low pressure switch, high pressure switch. Uh, if you have a head temperature, temperature sensor or um, head temperature, um, you know, like a high temperature discharge line, uh, check across. Um, if, if, you know, if you have no power on the system and basically you go um, across it on ohms, you'll get 0 0.01 point, maybe 0 0.1, 0 0.2. If you're getting a half a ohm, if you're getting one ohm, there, there's a problem with that switch. Um, by doing that, you're going to drop voltage across, you know, that particular, uh, particular switch, uh, which means that's going to drop voltage, which means you are going to drop voltage even more in your contactor and cause the, the amperage to be excessive. Because you got to remember, all the safeties are in series, right? Uh, series, you know, series aren't made to have... Uh, loads going in. Well, basically, if you have a faulty uh, low pressure switch, high pressure switch, oil safety, um, and it's, you know, let's just say it's pulling five ohms. Now that actual switch has now became a load. So now that load is actually going to drop voltage across it, which means you're not going to get the proper voltage across your contactor coil, um, which means you're going to pull excessive amperage, which means, uh, you know, eventually you are going to heat up that coil and, and it's, it is going to go bad. So just be mindful of that. It's, it's not just checking, you know, the, the coil to see what happened, but also check the rest of your safeties. Um, you know, we've, we've had a multitude of issues, especially, you know, when you, when people are changing out compressors, um, you know, I, I always say just change out the safety that that's, that you're changing out with the compressor. And the reason why is, you know, we don't know why that compressor went bad. You know what I mean? We, there, there could have been some other reason that, that we couldn't diagnose unless you did a, a tear down and found out it's something mechanical, then, you know, it's something, you know, that, that wasn't necessarily electrical. But that being said, you know, that, that, uh, you know, mangled compressor inside could have been caused by a faulty oil fail control. Well, it's a lot easier to put a, another $400 controller in there uh, than have to change out that $10,000 compressor again and again and again. So I just want to preface that, you know, it, a lot of times it's a lot wiser to just change out the safeties with, 
you know, what you're doing. Uh, and those IDCM modules aren't cheap as well. Kevin, where are they, Ron? They're like around like four or five hundred bucks, I'm pretty sure. So yeah, they're they're not cheap. So is I want to go over go ahead. Is there a difference between the, the IDCM for the uh, for the scroll and the uh, like the four Ds? Uh, the scroll and the three D are the same IDCM part number. The three D or the four D and the sixty have their own IDCM part number. So they are different. Um, the only difference I know, that I know of is the actual output scaling in it. But uh, I want to go over on how to test the, the compressor outputs, the M1, M2. So this is right in this manual, and it works pretty good. Um, so what you do is you're going to want to power down the, the controller. You're going to want to take the wires off C1 and C2, which are going to be your uh, which are going to be your input voltage from your uh, controller. You're going to want to wire P3 to C2, and you're going to want to wire P1 to C1. Now, what that's going to do is that's going to put uh, the full 5 volts uh, on that controller, so that should cause M1 to close, and that should cause M1 and M2, it should be sending 120 volts or 208 volts, whatever your control voltage is across them, and so should your unloader coil. So... If you're not sending out voltage at that point and you when you power that thing back up, if it's not sending out voltage on M1 and M2 and uh, the solenoid uh, power, then with a full 5 volts at it, then you know you have a faulty controller. If it is sending out uh, you know the proper voltage, then you have some other problem. It could be an EMS problem along those lines, but uh, that's how you detect uh, test the contacts on that controller. You'd be sending it a full five volts by jump, jumping P1 to C1 and jumping uh, uh, C2 to uh, P3. So that's going to send a full five volts to it. Now, uh, like I, like we said before, those triacs do not handle uh, do not handle uh, the shorts very well. So the, the other thing to, to keep in mind, so um, there are sev several versions of these IDCM controllers, like Brett was saying. So there's one for, uh, there's a refrigeration scroll, which would be the, uh, that'd be the one that's also the, the 3D. So the duty second cycle time on that is 20 seconds. So that's the, you know, 20 seconds on, 20 seconds off, 20 seconds on, 20 seconds off. Okay, the refrigeration, the air conditioning scrolls is 15 seconds. So it has a less of a duty cycle time. And then you have uh, the 4D one, which is going to be your 4D and 60. That is also a 20 second duty cycle time. So that, that is the uh, pulse rate time on the, uh, the, the solenoid. So each one of these uh, controllers has its own part number. So you need to pay attention to that. If you're, if you're working on a 3D, you need to make sure it's the, the 3D and scroll one. And if it's a 4D or 60, you need to make sure it's that one because A, your voltages aren't going to match for your uh, signals. And then uh, B, um, it's just not going to work properly. So the, uh, on startup, I've seen that a couple times where they've had the wrong ones. And so if you go down like on the tables where you start listening like the, on the page seven of this manual, 
it'll tell you like your demand signal at uh, so at three volts is fifty percent. Okay, so it's gonna it's gonna be loaded for seven and a half seconds and unloaded for seven and a half seconds. So it's seven and a half seconds on, seven and a half seconds off, and then same thing if it's if it's uh, uh, five volts, it's always going to be loaded. It's not going to be unloaded. If it's at you know one point four four volts, which would be ten percent of uh, one to five volts, it's going to be uh, it's going to be loaded for one point five seconds, unloaded for 13.5 seconds. So you can see it's pulsing that loader on and off and it's changing the times based on what that DC signal is. So that, that's how it's causing this uh, pulse width modulation to load and unload. So I had a question for you. Um, you know, you have more experience with these. I mean, I've, I've troubleshoot a bunch, but just to not, not set them up. Um, I was looking at a programming set up on E2 and um, there was a uh, uh, basically like an amount it was looking at as far as its timing. Um, is it what's that supposed to be set for? As far as uh, I think it's like seconds before it actually before the controller makes a change and tells it you know how fast it wants it to react. Uh, this particular so controller- Emerson won't good. Sorry, um, right. go ahead. Uh, so the controller was set up for ten seconds. Is that too slow? Should it be lower than that? Uh, generally, uh, it's set to 20 seconds. Really? Yeah, it's usually a 10% minimum with a 20-second cycle. Okay. That, that's generally what I see them set at. That's generally what I, I put them at. So if it's a, a, if it's a 4D, it's going to be a 50% minimum. Mm-hmm. And then if it's a... Uh, 3D, it's going to be uh, a 10% minimum. And same with the scroll, it'll be 10%. So, I mean, that that is critical when you're setting these up because they will not, they will not operate properly. And then on the back end of that, you have to make sure your scaling is right on your analog output. Because with Emerson, uh, at, when you make an analog output, it starts out as a zero to ten volt, no matter what. That's that's the uh, stock setting for it. So you have to change it to one to five volts. So that way, it'll uh, it'll go from that, and then the actual E two is going to scale, rescale that because you're telling the E two you have a one to five volt signal. And your minimum is ten percent, so don't go below ten percent. So it's gonna it's gonna constantly keep that at one point four four volts or above. That's ten percent of one to five, so it's gonna constantly keep it above that. Now, uh, if that is not set up properly, say if you set that minimum to zero, you would have nonstop nuisance uh, demand signal loss alarms, which I see that a lot on uh, on new startups. Like I'll see them like. The OEM will like leave it at zero to ten. Kevin, you totally froze.
Hey, you back? Yeah, you're back now. So okay. you start start off with um, you see OEM when you get the rack. Yeah, uh, a lot of OEMs uh, will actually have these scales wrong when they show up, depending on who programmed them, and they'll be still set up to zero to ten volts. So you'll have nonstop issues. So I don't know how many times I found that even even a year afterwards they're still set up wrong. So you just need to be really mindful of that the output scaling. So if you're having issues with demand signal loss, that's the first place I'm going to make sure that output scaling set up and then the actual minimum is in there so that it's like, you know, not dropping it below, you know, 10%. So on like page 10, they're going to show the actual, uh, the actual uh, curves of how, how it works so like at 1.5 volts it'll be like roughly like 10 percent uh you want to say three volts it's at 50 percent five volts is at 100 percent and then uh same thing with the 3d or i'm sorry a 4d so at 2.9 volts basically it's going to be at 50 percent and then at five volts it's at 100 percent so a 4d can only go it can only go 50 to 100% because you're only unloading one head. So it's going to step up. So you have, you know, 50 to 100%. I do not like the uh, the digital 40s. I, uh, you don't get as much capacity control with them as you do as a 3D. Uh, they don't seem to react as well. I mean, you've got to have a, a pretty tight-sized rack for the 4D to work properly. You want to choose a compressor like – I, I tend to try to choose a compressor if I'm doing a retrofit, which I've done a ton of like, probably over like 50 of these like head retrofits. I tend to choose the compressor if I'm looking at the rack, which covers the, the greatest range. And if I'm looking at the rack controller, the one that, that the rack controller is favoring the most with the most runtime, because that compressor is handling the load the best. So it'll probably handle the load the best over, uh, um, the range. And if I'm going to choose this, so say if we're doing like a retrofit for a digital compressor, I'm always going to choose a 3D because I have that greater range. So that's one thing to like look out for because I mean, if I have to use a 4D, I will, but generally I try to, I try to stick with the 3Ds because they, they tend to work a lot better and it's a lot smoother control. Has anyone ever tried to put two unload digital unloading heads on a 4D? Uh, Emerson is not, but I'll tell you what, Bitzer will let you do all three on a six cylinder and it works great. Well, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering because like, if you, you know, if you basically would, if you'd slow down the reaction time and slow down, like not let it, you know, jump increases and, you know, basically let it, let it kind of just, you know, set voltages up like that. I'm wondering if you would get a really good a really good uh, suction control by doing that. I'm sure I'm sure it would because I mean the, the bitters. I did uh, I did a rack and I did uh, it had uh, two. It, it was a double stack rack and it had two sixty horse. Uh, the leads were sixty horses. I did all three heads on there. I so it was six heads total on uh, two different racks. And uh, I was running them 
you know, on one head half the time. But like, I mean, it, it took the suction group cycling like 600 times a day on a compressor down to like two. What, what control are you using to actually, you know, do, do that for the Bitzers? So the Bitzers have like a Siemens, uh, logic controller they built in but now bits are just released i've yet to do one i'm trying to sell one right now to somebody um they have their own integrated bits module like it's all bluetooth to a phone and -hmm. apparently this thing is like you know on the money like it's like i've seen some of the graphs and it's pretty impressive the only reason why the only reason why i'm asking is because like i I know the siemens controller that I figured that's what you were going to say. So the Siemens controller that you're referring to, like they, it has a memory card in it. So a lot of times if it's not programmed, you know, where, you know, for that amount of heads on that particular compressor, it, you know, it, you'd have to get that memory card basically, you know, reflashed. Correct. Yeah. So those bits are memory cards. There's like, man, maybe like eight or nine of them. So there's ones like uh, there's different programs in there because you could actually control multiple compressors with that. There's programs in there for three heads. There's programs in there for uh, controlling uh, two four cylinder compressors as digitals. So like there's all kinds of different. And then there's all uh, there's ones that are those are zero to ten. But there's also uh, cards that are ten to zero. So that's one thing you gotta really watch those because uh, uh, ten volts is uh full on load on some of those bitsers and then yeah. 10 volts is full full load so like it you have to look at what card you have and how the ems is set up so i bet that 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 to me that that's a whole problem because you you're there's too much chance for the parts department and the oem to mess that up um with all those uh different ones but uh the new bitser control is a thousand times better i can looked at a bunch of stuff with it and I'm pretty impressed. So, um, but yeah, I mean, their, their, their 4d control is way better than the, the, the Copeland's. I mean, cause you have, you actually have the ability to do it. I don't see why you couldn't do it with Copeland, but they don't let you. Carlisle has their I own really, as well, but I've never seen it. I've never, I've never <laughs> got the one. We, we have one store with it. And I'm going to be honest to you, like I've had nothing but problems with it. And uh, last summer we had uh, the discharge sensor failed. Okay. Uh, It failed in June. They just got the sensor in February. There was nothing they could have swapped it out with. There was no. Nothing. It was like some off the wall, like sensor. I ended up having to go there and put a resistor in there. (laughs) <laughs> because uh, I mean, this, this it was a glycol rack, and it needed it needed that compressor to run properly. And yeah, uh, yeah they, they were like a national back order. I mean, so the way Carlisle does it, they they have a couple different versions. They have a, a, a pulse with modulation where they're doing the heads, and then they have one. We I did a store with compound coolers, uh, so obviously you can't really unload a compound cooling head. So what they were doing is they were using a uh, rapid fire sporlin solenoid and they were pulsing the suction line. So they were pulsing the suction line to the compressor. That's how they were doing the digital unloading. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I, I, I didn't like it either. I mean, the compressor ran really hot and uh, 
it was kind of weird. I mean, I have only seen that was one store I seen with it, and uh, that that was all the uh, the uh, Carlisle goes with that. Most of the Carlisles I see are on VFDs. So just to let you guys know, so the reason why you know there there are some you know why some of these cards would be set up or why the analog output would be set up differently. Um, if you think about it, you know the analog output is basically driving you know, driving this particular system to either be loaded or unloaded. So if you lose your analog output and, you know, it's, uh, you know, hundred percent at 10 volt and you don't have that analog output, then basically you're, you're shit out of luck. You're not going to have, uh, you're not going to have the uh, analog output signal to actually drive whatever you need. So the idea is nowadays with a lot of different stuff, they'll, they'll make it fully loaded or fully open at uh at zero volts so in case you do lose that analog output module you're not screwed you know you can still function um i remember telling you man this had to be at least seven or eight years ago um the motor the mpest uh, condenser fan motors that basically uh have their own vfd per each one um now i think all of them are programmed uh, at uh zero volts they run 100 percent, but they used to not be they used to actually all be programmed where it was 100 percent at 10 volt and i had lost an analog output module this store was up in connecticut it was 63,000 square foot it was one of the biggest it was a there, there had to be at least 13 13 compressors on this rack the glycol lines were just 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 huge and um the rack wasn't running i was screwed I didn't know what to do. I'm freaking out. Um, you know, everything is running warm because everything is running off this glycol rack. And I'm pacing back and forth trying to figure out where I'm going to get DC voltage from. And I just, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm thinking battery, battery. I'll, I'll, I can hook nine volts to it. So I went down to my truck, hooked up a nine volt uh, battery up to it. And she ran about 90% on the fans. And um, I mean, I had to write, in my report three days later that I had to change out the battery on the condenser and my boss kind of flipped, flipped some shit. But I mean, other than that, it, you know, it, it, it worked and uh, you know, it worked. So, so we got the, the uh, new analog output module into it. Yeah. I got a, I got a real good one, a quick story, real good. One of those. So uh, Walmart, you know, how a lot of them have the standalone drives where they're actually controlling. Uh, they're actually, the drives actually controlling the condenser. Well, um, one of my guy, really good guys is out there, and uh, he went out there to help somebody, and uh, the actual uh, condenser control board failed and took out the transducer also. So he had no transducer, and he had no condenser control board. And uh, also somehow, I don't know how this happened, but the compressor control board also was out. So they lost basically every form of DC voltage in that rack. So what I had my guy do is there was AOMs there, which are analog output Novar cards. So I had him take the AOM. He put a, a CPC transistor in. Uh, I had him take the AOM, put it at 50%, which is five volts, which powered the CPC transducer with five volts. Then he reprogrammed the Danfoss drive, rescaled it for the CPC transducer instead of a Novar transducer because it was piggybacking its signal off the Novar transducer. He reprogrammed it for that and made the thing work. 
No, it was like 10 degrees outside. So without the drive, they weren't going to make it, especially with the condenser control board being bad. But uh, he was able to steal power off the AOM output by keeping it at 50% and uh, supplying the CPC transistor with 5 volts because the Novar transistor needs like uh, 24 volts. Uh, it was like 12 to 24 volts DC. 10, 10 to 36. 10 to yeah. 36. 10 to 36 volts DC. So, yeah. I mean, a CPC transistor only needs five. So we were able to power that CPC transistor. It ran like that for like three weeks until uh, until the C uh, condenser control board and the compressor control board came in. But, I mean, that's a little bush fix you could do. I mean, if you need DC volts, just like Brett said, I mean, that, that's, that's, a, that's a quick uh, quick way to get it. If you got an analog output card, now you got DC voltage. But yeah, that's, uh, one that's thing – Middle generator. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we didn't have one of those at the time. But one thing I really want to go over, like I want to stress this on the on these IDCM controllers. They're good controllers, but like uh, you need to really follow the instructions when you're doing them. And I'm going to go over a situation that we had, and this was like a, a massive issue. So I was at a company for a while. Uh, they uh, had this one particular customer, big national customer. And uh, digital compressors on the and their protocols, digital compressors in each each uh, each rack. So uh, I'm going around all these stores, and all these digital compressors aren't working. None of them, like half half of them from a certain date date code, these protocols aren't working. You know, and they're 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 compressor protector trip. While well, these guys, nobody can figure it out. Uh, they replaced a bunch of uh, uh, boards, and they kept failing. And basically what happened was they were blowing up the analog output cards in the CPC controllers. So they would some of them would blow up right away. Some of them would last, uh, you know, a week. Some of them would last a month and they would blow up. They would blow up the output. So I, the first one I went to, I, you know, the analog, I would get no DC voltage out of the output. So I swap out the board, turn it on, boom board blows up okay i you know i'm looking at it. everything's everything's according to the print how you know husband sends it out i'm looking at it and then i and i realize that the commons of the actual uh analog input and the transformer 24 volt supply to the uh to the actual idcm are they're bonded they're the same so if your polarity is off it'll blow the board up. It'll blow the analog output card up because now you're sending, okay, five volts versus uh, 24 volts. Boom, potential difference, they're gonna blow up. Okay, that was the issue on this one, but the other ones where they're having all these issues is, so this particular customer had a multi-flex board running the compressors and the AO, and they had uh, a analog input card in there so they had a center tap transformer so they center tapped the multi-flex board okay so from ground to positive is 12 volts from ground to negative is 12 volts okay the idcm transformer is now out of phase because ground to uh to uh, common is 12 volts, not zero volts. 
so out of phase. So it's blow. It was every time the voltage would spike up a little bit on the transformer, it blow the output out on the on the board. So it blow so the track. No, it, it would blow the uh, the AO on the uh, on the Emerson board on the CPC multiflex board. Oh, okay. Because because it'd be at a potential difference than the uh, the IDCM. So it was it was shorting out the analog output cards. So what I do, and I still do this on my brand new protocols because I see it every once in a while because they still keep, Husband's consistent. They consistently make the same mistakes over and over again. I mean, but I'll, I'll take that then like the random, you know, I'll take the, the consistency. Um, I'll end up rewiring the IDCM to the board. The, the reason I do this is, is that way if somebody fucks the polarity up, um, it's not as big of an issue. So I'll, I'll power the IDCM off the same transformer that the board's powered off of. You got anything else? No, I think that's a uh, pretty good, uh, you know, coverage on that. Kept it under an hour. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, thanks guys. I appreciate it. Uh, have a nice night. All right. Thanks, guys. Katie's birthday today and uh wouldn't your son be happier playing with kids his own age assuming it's okay with your two dads i would rather chew off my own foot shut up everybody just just shut up and what is this display now as amusing as you shut are. up just shut up shut up shut up shut it up up up